grace. We always find mercy here, grace to help us in the time of need. And we need you every day, every hour. You are our life and we relish the thought that we can trust you, trust you with everything. So we thank you, Lord. Increase our trust in you by your holy word. So we thank you, Lord, and we praise you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So um, I thought I'd talk today about deliverance, uh, a deliverance that God affords everybody. Everybody needs it. Everybody, you know, sometimes we get selective about our devils. <laughs> but But we've been redeemed. We've been purchased out of the hand of the enemy. So everybody needs deliverance from from themselves if if nothing else but uh um i i thought i'd talk about the the um imp, uh, significance of israel's uh first stop it it uh the well bitter well at mara so this one is don't live at the well of mara okay don't live there not for you to live there amen um if you turn to Exodus chapter 15, we'll start there. I'll read the scripture. Uh, now this is right after God gave a mighty deliverance to the children of Israel. <clears throat> How many of you know that you can see God move and you can see the acts of God, but not really trust him? Not, not really trust him. So, uh, sometimes, and the same thing, you can see your own uh, change when you're saved when you get born again uh, there becomes a miraculous change in you that is noticeable to you even if other people don't notice it it's noticeable to you and just like you can have that miraculous uh, 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 you know uh, I would say your born again experience conversion really is more of a process so you've been born again of his spirit but to be converted from sinner to saint, full-blown, take it's a process. Amen. It's a time. You've got to give yourself time. Now, there is no big people, little people in God's kingdom. We're all loved by the Father. We're all welcomed by the Father. So stop comparing yourself with other Christians. But step up. And start being godly. Now that ain't no excuse for us to lag behind and, you know, slink around and, you know, bar hop and all that, keep all the old haunts we kept. You know, you've been relocated. You know, sometimes you'll go around people that knew you back in the day and you think you can hang still. And they, they want to run away and leave you right there by yourself. They, well, you know, there's like a, you know, you wonder what happened. Well, you know what happened. You got saved and it's real. So you now know it's real, right? Amen. I remember uh, years ago, um, uh, remember Diane Ming the Merciless was with us in the ministry when we first got started. And she would, uh, the pastor wanted all the ladies, you know, so-called mature ladies. None of us were really that old in the Lord uh, where we were well-groomed. So the ones that seemed the most, I guess, honest or sophisticated to him, he had us, had us minister at a women's meeting. And, 
and she said um, she was an evangelist and so she was one of those hard-hitting you ever hear people that can tell a story and get you right up to the edge and clean it up real fast and you'd be sitting up there looking stupid like i thought we was going the other way you know the one of those type of people evangelists know how to reach everybody you know and pull you into the kingdom they don't go back in the dirt with you and she said uh she said oh yes uh i knew i was saved and she said, know how I knew I was saved? She said, my boyfriend and I used to sleep together. And I tried it after I was saved. I said, oh, no, this is for married people. And everybody go. <laughs> she said that in the church. But how else do you know you're changed if you don't have evidence? And she was thankful for it. Yeah. See, most Christians won't be that honest. They doing this stuff, but they ain't going to tell the truth don't let me go over there let me just go here okay huh it's the truth you know sin is sin it all take you to hell even if you all you doing is judging the people that's being honest so anyway so this is this is an occurrence that happens right after this big deliverance Children, the nation of Israel had lived in Egypt for 430 years. God told Abraham this, that he would have descendants as, as many as the, the sea, the sand of the sea and the stars in the sky. He said, you're going to have that many kids. And he was childless and his wife was barren. So all of this happening with the nation of Israel is a miracle. These are miracle people. They're accustomed to God delivering them miraculously. But that doesn't mean that you're converted. Just because you've seen stuff and experienced stuff, that doesn't, that doesn't really necessarily make a change in you. That change has to happen by you surrendering your life to God. And I mean everything. You know, I, I used to fight with my husband about, I said, I know you got some more money somewhere. I said, I just ain't found it yet. If I find that last little, the sock that is in, or the drawer that is in, or the little cubby hole you keep it in, I got it all. Well, that's what we do to God. We give him parts of us, but not all. We always got to have a little bit reserved for us because we don't really trust him. Now, you trust him with some things, but you don't really trust him totally. We usually trust people where it's going to benefit us. I'll say it again. See, we trust where it will benefit us. If you can't see the benefit of telling God, I don't want to do anything with my life. You can have it all. I planned X, Y, Z, T, but I don't want it no more if you don't want it for me. Not many people say that. Ain't gonna say it. You don't trust him that much. So little by little we give it up. Cause we have to. To some point you realize you have to grow in your trust of God. Or this whole charade is, is not worth it. It's not worth it. You know, giving up one thing or another with it if you're not gonna get the full benefit of it, you know. It doesn't hurt us to take off a little extra makeup. In fact, we get out the house faster if we don't. Huh? True. 
It doesn't hurt us to lengthen our our skirts or, or loosen them up because eventually you can get too fat. You get to the point where you don't care what you eat. Well, let me tell you, let me just put you in and plug you in for real. Skinny women is evil. <laughs> now that I have everybody's attention. I have to go Monique on y'all for you get to sit up here and pay attention to somebody. I'm talking the truth. No offense to anybody here. I just, but you know, we all go through it as believers. You get the freedom of God in you and you kind of forget you eating two Twinkies in succession or you forget you, you had supersized your order. And you do that enough, you pack pounds on, huh? Why? Because you ain't trying to hook nobody. You ain't trying to impress nobody. You ain't trying, you know, hey, I'm free, you know. Then you got to retrieve yourself back and understand that the fruit of self-control is part of the Holy Spirit, too, you know, and you being excessive. So it's always always going to be some kind of struggle with us. But I'm telling you, we we will have to learn to surrender everything to God, you know, even the things that we don't want to give up. And little by little, we give them up. You know, I see everybody doing it. When you come to church, that conviction of God comes on you. This is a sanctuary. This is a holy place. You don't dress like you do in the streets for the world anymore. You don't have to compete with women in the world anymore. You, you, you want to reflect the masters. You know, he's put a dignity on you on the inside and you want it to reflect on the outside. And so the change in dresses is just an upgrade of your image of yourself. And it's not to put anybody in legalism. But it's to let you know, don't disdain the changes that you see in people. Like, you know, when, when I first started preaching, I tell this story. I made up my mind that I was not going to wear slacks in the pulpit. Now, why? Number one, they're not that comfortable. Unless they to pull on cut. Now, just, just between me and you. They get too tight. Your jacket is never long enough. And you don't want people staring at you trying to see, well, is she fat? She's skinny. Oh, she took a few pounds off. No, she didn't put them back on again. This ain't no fashion show. This is the, in, in the Bible, they wore clothing specific for preaching. But because we're not under the law, that doesn't mean that we are, are lawless. That's one reason. The other reason is that there are many traditional churches where women do not wear that which pertaineth to men. It's in the Bible, folks. You think I want to offend a whole group of people, of God's people who love him just so I can be Miss Fashion Plate? I don't think so. Huh? I'd have put I put a robe on it <laughs> and keep gaining weight. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying. I mean, come on now. It's just it's for everybody's benefit. You don't want to be distracted by. You know, I hate that when I see women in the pulpit that don't know how to dress. And there's so many Christian uh 
people out here who who dress nicely. You can look in anybody's congregation and you can see conservatively nicely dressed women. Just you know, if you're in a pool big, find out where they buy their clothes. That's, right. wow. That's real simple. We do that anyway. And and go get you some. Thinking about y'all, I'm gonna go. I'm reading my Bible to myself. Read my Bible to myself. <laughs> but the children of Israel had just come through a mighty deliverance from God. After 430 years in a foreign country, it's not their permanent home, temporary housing. How would you like to live in a trailer all your life or a tent knowing there's better out there for you? God's promised you better. One day it's coming. So after 430 years after the Pharaoh who had initially invited them there had died many centuries earlier, the Pharaohs who had come up in later days started despising the Israelites. Why? Because there were so many of them. Everything they did prospered. That's why them people are hated now. First thing Hitler did when when he started killing, before he started killing Jews and in prison, he took their wealth from them. Jealousy. See, when the hand of deity is on you, people notice it. They want it. If they can't have it legitimately, they'll try and steal it. And so they put uh, the nation of Israel to slavery. Part of what they did was build the pyramids. People wonder now how that was done considering uh, what they had available for building back in the day. There are some things as they examine the pyramids, they look at certain ways it's put together and they can't account for it. But we can I don't care where God's, I don't care if you're in slavery working, God's hand is still on you. You see what I'm saying? All those heavy blocks, God gave them ingenuity how to move them. And once they left, that ingenuity was gone, so they've never been able to build anything like it since then. So it stands, the reason it stands today is because God's hand was in building it. Look at all the the great buildings that used to exist that are totally destroyed. Built for pagan gods by pagan people. They're not there anymore. But the pyramids are still there. God put it there as a testament to his power to help his people no matter what your condition is. People need to get over their past. You know. I've never been in slavery. My parents weren't either. And to be honest with you, they never sat up and talked bitter to us about what happened to them in the south. They weren't angry people. They were thankful that they didn't have to be there anymore. So that hatred, all that stuff wasn't put in, put on in us as children. My parents refused to rob us of a future by making us bitter, angry people. Huh? And so as they come out of Egypt, God delivers them again supernaturally. He has the Red Sea open up right in front of them. And make them walk through it. But when they step on the floor of the ocean, it's dry. It's not muddy. 
So God's supernatural touch is there throughout their history. So right after they get through the Red Sea, it closes up again. And it swallows up all of their enemies. Everybody that kept them imprisoned. See, this is why you don't hate. This is why you don't um, carry an attitude. This is why you're not waiting to get even with somebody. Because God says, vengeance is mine, I'll repay. He repaid their enemies right then and right there. So nobody can go away and saying, oh, God just let them get away with that all those years. Plus the Israelites has stripped them of all the wealth they had before they left. So even though they were in slavery, I think their slavery period was probably not more than a 100 years out of that 430. But 430 years to the day God spoke that to Abraham, they came out. They didn't come out because somebody prayed real hard because uh, the intercessors fasted. They came out because God said they were coming out and God kept his word. You understand what I'm saying? And so God designs everything for his purpose. He allowed Israel to experience slavery so that they would develop a distaste for it. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's how God raises up pure people. Teaching them to have a distaste for things that he has a distaste for. So God hates slavery. So he allowed them to have an experience with it to develop a taste for it. He He also allowed them not to have their own land for a large number of years. Why? He said... To prove you, he said, in, 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 when he gave them their land, he says, when the stranger and the foreigner comes and they're hungry, you feed them. Cause remember you were a stranger and a foreigner in, in Egypt for many years? And I showed you kindness through those people. I want you to do it for anybody who comes through here. So all I'm saying is much of what we've been through that we hate so much and we detest so much, will work for our good now that we're in covenant with God. All your experiences, all of the things that you quote unquote suffered and went through, and I'm not saying it wasn't bad. I don't know everybody's situation. But I do know this. If you'll give it to God, he can work it out for your good. Everybody goes through difficulties. Everybody has some little poverty, whether it's your own making. Because many times we're our own worst enemy and not having the things we need for life. Sometimes weakness and bad decisions on the part of people that we should be able to count on to take care of us causes us difficulty. You know, but you're not a victim. You haven't been a victim since you got saved. Amen. In fact, you weren't a victim as a sinner, to be honest with you, because God has the, the ability to help sovereignly in your life every day. So instead of being bitter, <laughs> we can get better. But I'm telling you, there are all these situations that we could take up bitterness about, but God has a remedy for that. 
And he wants us to experience the remedy. He doesn't want us to be bitter people. He doesn't want us to be... Bitterness paralyzes you. And it's infectious onto other people. And so we have to be careful that we don't allow this bitterness to sink in. So after they experienced this great deliverance, they began to worship and praise God. Exodus 5 includes Moses' song and Miriam's song, where they were, they were a, a prophetic family. So they got these prophetic songs from the Lord, exalting God and how he had delivered them. And in verse 22, we see the beginning of their, their testing again. They're in a new land. And God is putting them through their paces of receiving deliverance. You don't just get bibbidi-bobbidi-boo on the head and touched all the time to be delivered. Uh, You can get free. You can get a devil cast out. But if he's got a grip in your life and he's trained your mind to think a certain way, your deliverance will be a process. In fact, it's always a process. It's a process of renewing your mind. And that you have to put up the effort to do. In renewing your mind, you have a choice as to how you're going to think and how you're going to add up your experience and come to a conclusion about it. And when your mind is renewed by the word of God, you'll always wind up with greater freedom. You'll have a conclusion that brings you peace, that passes all understanding. There are signs in you and in your life that let you know that you're free from all of the ill effects of the things that have gone wrong in your life. And so until that process is complete, we all go through process. So the process is not just... uh Standing away from your life, putting your brain over here and putting it through a washing machine and let it get cleansed of your old ideas. It's in the moment it happens. So you're going to be, have to, God's going to put you in some situations where you'll have to confront what you feel, why you feel it. Why you shouldn't feel that way anymore and let God's deliverance process occur in your life. Many people in this, this generation, I'll give you an example, have problems with authority. Now why is that? Well, look at your experiences with authority. Sometimes we've been in, in households with weak or absent parents. We, some of us have had parents who abandoned us. Some of us have been under authority figures that probably would not have been in our lives had our parents been more faithful. Some have been in, in the company of molesters and people who take advantage of helpless children. You got me? And uh, and none of it your fault or your responsibility. You didn't ask to be there. You didn't ask for those things to happen to you. But know this, that they happen to everybody. 
But that is no reason for you to not try and learn that there are some good things about authority. If you don't learn that authority is beneficial for your life, you'll wind up not having good authority in your life. And you'll probably wind up making the same mistakes that your no good parents did on your own children. Because you need deliverance from the bad experience of wrong authority. Authority figures who disappointed you. Authority figures who had no business with authority over you. Authority figures who, if they didn't step into your life, you probably wouldn't have done as well as you did. Authority people. Mean authority. Not so mean authority. Huh? Uh, we all have a, all, we all have a little bit of it. Come on now. It's just, it's not that, you know, I, <laughs> I have problems myself. Oh my God. No, but you know, a lot of times, now y'all know I make, make jokes about my late husband being tight. See, I just don't like tight authority. I like loose authority. Give me what I does that sound familiar to anybody? Isn't that the way we live? We want what we I want it now. Yeah. You know that that kind of stuff. And so so we all have that rebellion against authority in us. And to be honest with you, if we're allowed to usurp authority or to circumvent authority, or to manipulate authority, we will do it even to our own hurt. That's why you make your kids shut up when they start talking back to you too much. See, That's why you, you hold out the rod of discipline to them, not because you're insecure about who you are so much, because they can make you feel stupid if you sit there and listen to some of the crazy stuff they'll say. But but it's because there's something in you that says, if I let this kid go on like this, they're going to hit a brick wall one day that they're going to have to stop and it won't be pleasant for them. So I love them too much to let them grow, grow up in rebellion with a sour attitude toward authority, always trying to get out from under authority. See, what most parents will call lazy uh, superficially is not. It's rebellion. Yes. Yes. Your kid won't get up and sweep that floor when you tell them because they want to have their way. They want control over you. You're the only thing that stands between them and their total freedom to wreck their lives and wind up in an orange jumpsuit, which is the new black, you know. You understand what I'm saying? And so you you don't want that for them. The Bible says he who spares the rod hates his child. You're not spoiling them, you hate them. Because you don't love them enough to discipline them. So when you come into God's kingdom and you find this perfect love that disciplines us, you start treating them just like you did mom and daddy trying to get away with as much as you can. What the real problem with, with people who don't like authority is that in authority is wisdom. 
It's always there. God always gives wisdom to people he puts in charge of things. And if you don't allow to appreciate love and accept the voice of wisdom, you'll never hear it in your life. It'll never guide your life. So while you're fighting people you think don't have good sense and ain't got no business telling you what to do and you understand what I'm saying? You're really resisting wisdom many times in a lot of ways. I was listening to uh, 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 Kanye West when he was in the White House talking to President Trump. He said, this man, he's like a father figure to me. When he was first running for president and he got on that escalator, God spoke two words to me. It was daddy's home. That's why Jezebel and her children are fighting him and trying to run wild. Now you can accept that if you want to. But if you have not noticed things, women have been running this country in the ground Wild women who claim they, they're murdering their own babies. When you start letting your freedom push you to murder, you're in real trouble. You're in trouble with your children, with your offspring. That's why children don't listen to their parents. It's too much sin. See, what's been missing in this nation for more than 50 years is a fathering spirit. That's why it's so easy for men to walk away from their wives, their children. And child support payment is not fathering. Can I say that in church? Now we got toxic masculinity. Huh? Like being a man is poison. So if we've been a country without a father for all this time, no wonder we want to burn the flag. No wonder we cuss everybody out. You look on Facebook and Twitter, I mean, unless you really got number of Christians on there, you look at some of people's tweets, some of the ones you might see publicly. And it's nothing but four-letter words. The entertainment industry is nothing but four-letter word people, and they applaud each other. The more they cuss, the more they applaud each other. They need to go bankrupt, out of business. The worst they can get. But I'm telling you, manhood is an endangered species. Now, I've known that for a long time. Huh? Now, I fight my little battles. I used to fight my little battles at home. They were personal battles. But I never lost to disrespecting my husband. You understand me? I never walked off from him in divorce just to pay him back. Women have shielded a man's own children from him. Like he's something wrong with him. 
Well, you slept with him. Was something right with him then? CNN and all the alphabet soup you watch. So that's why one of the reasons they hate the president is the fathering spirit. And you can tell by the things they say about him. Well, he's a womanizer. So are you. He's a, so are you. He's, he's a vile human being. Nothing but the pit of hell accusing But we're going to listen to that and say they're right. Huh? <laughs> See, when all the truth comes out, there are going to be a lot of people sitting up looking stupid for negative things they've said. Because you still don't know what he's assigned by God to do. And I believe God did put him there. I'd rather believe the prophets and prosper than to be loyal to a political party that does nothing for me. So... You know what I'm saying? I don't have to believe any party. I just believe the prophets and prosper. See, y'all want me to want me to prophesy accurate prophecy, but somebody else tells when you don't want to believe, then you want to condemn the gift. See what I'm saying? You can't live like that, folks. Either God's kingdom is real or it ain't. He that has true prophets here who are telling his speaking his mind or this whole thing is is no good. So, yeah, there's a lot of bitterness out here, folks. Have you noticed? Now we got women on a sex strike. And all the men said... You think they care? Huh? You think they care? Strike me, kill me. (laughs) I've been waiting for some grounds. See, it's all because nobody likes authority. I remember when all this started. I'm not afraid to tell my age, which I ain't telling no numbers. Y'all just count backwards if you want to. I don't care what you do. But but I remember the protests in the 60s. Everybody was rebelling against everything. That's when liberalism started to take over. In American thought, it began. And see, it was cute then because everybody was protesting the Vietnam War. Which, you know, then they started turning on the soldiers, people that protect you. It's, it's really, it's a shame. It's a horrible shame the way we have treated people in this nation based on a difference in thought. They think differently than we do. So we have a right to call them names, put them down, throw things at them, threaten them. So there's a lot of hatred out here. There's a lot of people that want to do good things but do hateful things anyway because they're trapped in an atmosphere that supports hatred. They hate us. If you're a Christian, they hate you. This is nothing but the devil. Anytime there's 24-7 accusation, 
of people on the airwaves, that's the devil. In case you don't know. And see, we have to, as believers, (laughs) go out and win souls into a kingdom that's not supported by the atmosphere that we live in. That's why you see empty chairs in every church. I don't care how big, how little. I don't care how much, how big the jumbotron is and how many concessions they have, stands they have in the back of the church and how seeker friendly they are. How many family nights they have with popcorn, free popcorn in the church. You can't get them in there. Because there's, there's a bounty on the heads of people like you and me. Now, don't think we're just spectators in this whole big thing. In fact, the prayers of the righteous are responsible for a lot of the conflict because we're the only ones putting up a front against the onslaught of the enemy or a globalist would have taken this nation over years ago. They had a plan for it to be gone eight years ago. They just couldn't pull it off. Why? Because God's people continue to pray. So when you come out of a world like that, what's God going to do with you when you come into his kingdom? He's got to do some deliverance on all of us. We got to be delivered from that hell we came out of. Where discouragement is common, depression is common, there's conflict, you gotta fight within your own family, within your own household, just to survive every day. But then you see the promises of God. And you can't imagine how is that gonna happen for me, considering what I've been through and where I come from. Huh? We look at people who have been saved a number of years and wonder if we'll ever get there. You know, and and we're examples to one another. See, I should be able to look at, say, I look at Chanel and I say, well, she's been in this ministry X now. Well, she looks like she's confident in what she's doing and she's comfortable and she's secure. You understand what I'm saying? And if you're new, you might feel a little insecure. You don't know which way you're going. Or if you're you're old in the Lord, you can feel that way. But at least there's somebody sitting next to you in your midst who seems to have some things put together right. Their prayers get answered. And you look at that and you say, well, there is hope for me. And you get encouraged. You're not jealous. You're not angry. You're encouraged. And that's the way it's supposed to work. So as we're going through our bitter period being delivered from what we accumulated out in Egypt. You know, the world we're in now is worse than Egypt any day of the week. We, we, we on Sodom and Gomorrah terms. They light up the, the, the White House pink when they pass a bill to murder babies after they're born. Uh, not the White House, the Congress in New York, I'm sorry. The uh, State House in the state of New York. They slide it up pink 
and they pass a bill to murder babies and get it gets a standing ovation. That's the devil, folks. That's the devil. Loosen people. And God shows us that. So when the deal goes down, you have no doubt what you're dealing with. Now anybody else who can make, put a band-aid on it and call it okay is out of their minds. Cause that's the devil. So we don't really have to have a word of knowledge or a discernment of spirits to know what he's doing now. It's just all out there in the open. And it's a warning to us to do what? Stay away. Don't engage in it. This is off limits to you. Don't try to support it. Don't try to encourage it. Don't turn the other way. But you got to say, Lord, help us. Lord, what is my thing to do? What What am I responsible to do to stop this madness? And if it don't look like madness to you, it will. So people who are getting born again (laughs) nowadays are coming out of a hellhole. Many of them are coming out of drugs. Why? They can't handle what they see. Listen, we dwell in the secret place of the Most High and we can barely handle it. Think about people who are submerged in it and that's their only hope. That's all they ever know. So no wonder we got a drug problem. Aided by people coming into this border illegally bringing it. And your dear Congress has had laws already in the works to make it happen. You know, you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to understand a conspiracy. I mean, you really don't. It's not a theory anymore. It's real. So then we wonder why people come into the church. They stumble. Can't quite get it right. Backslide. Can't handle it. Because the two are so different. There's an opposite here. There's a kingdom of God, a a land flowing with milk and honey. I'll never be hungry again. Nobody will ever beat me. Nobody will ever come and touch me wrong. I don't have to fear every night when I go to sleep and wake up at at five in the morning and sun coming up and I haven't been to sleep because I'm scared to sleep because somebody might come in. Then we wonder why young kids will leave home and get found murdered somewhere, trial tra- child trafficked, all that kind of stuff. The devil's running everything. He's been running it in a subtle way, but he's he's running it full blown now. Why? Part of it, God's exposed it, folks. Much of what you see, you're supposed to make a decision about. If nothing else, that just decide it's not for me. And how do I pray? Because if it's not at your doorstep today, tomorrow it might be. The only thing that holds it back is the force of God's power exhibited through his people. He's depending on us. So he's got to get us delivered before we can do an adequate job for him. But how's he do it? 
Exodus uh, 15. That was my intro. (laughs) So in verse 22, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. Now that's a desert. Wilderness here is not green trees and smoky to bear somewhere out there to help you find your way back. And they found no water. And when they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Now that word bitter also means poisonous. So it's not like you can take a little bit of it and the taste was a little off and you could live. This water was not fit to drink because it would cause death and illness poisonous. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? I'm going to stop there for a minute. When they got to Mara, the first well they get to, they're out there three days walking in the wilderness. You would think a good God who has foreknowledge and plans ahead would have nice water for them to drink. But God did not promise us that everything would be tailor-made, ready-made. I mean, he knows your problem before you get there. But you got to look at the original plan of God. When he created, he said, let us give man dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds in the air, every creepy thing that crawls on the earth. So why should God provide fresh water when he's given man dominion to provide for himself? So your first provision for yourself in God's kingdom will be to make sure that you understand that God is helping you to get yourself free from your past. Because the bitter water represents what they bring when they come out of Egypt. That water is just a reflection of them. The first thing they get to is a reflection of what's on the inside of them. When you get to your first challenge as a Christian, it makes all the difference in the world how you're going to come out of it. So the children of Israel get what's a reflection of themselves, first challenge. How many of us have been through this? You ever, you ever find somebody that you really just can't stand? And then you walk away from it and think about them. You say, well, you know, they're kind of like me in a life. <laughs> I can't stand myself. There's a the problem. Everybody been there? If you haven't, you will. You see a little bit of detesting yourself and detesting somebody else. You do. If you don't, you're just not being honest. Come on now. We've all got the same experiences, problems, frustrations, everything. So then you start to figure out, well, I better ease up on this because I might indict myself. But you're already indicted. And you wonder to yourself, God, did you plan for me to have this conflict here for a reason? And the answer is yes. 
He wants you to see yourself. Outside of yourself. Instead of looking at yourself from the inside all the time and say, <laughs> we don't need to fix up a thing here. Huh? Isn't that what we do? Even when we know we're wrong, it's somebody, it's the other girl's fault. Or the other guy's fault. We fix ourselves up to ourselves all the time. Well, see God, not, see God, not, now, I did it, God, but I wouldn't have done it if she hadn't been looking just like me when, you know. <laughs> it's always somebody provoked me, huh? Like you're just a little poking stick somewhere. You just live to be provoked. And sometimes we do, huh? Come on there with the little thing on your shoulder. Waiting for somebody to bump into it. So you can go off. You touched my thing. My precious thing I keep out here where everybody can bump it. Huh? Oh, we full of shenanigans. You know, it's just, we never run out sometimes. So this bitter was a reflection of who they were. Verse 24 proves it. When they found it was something that wasn't like they thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. That's for all you church hurt people. All your little friends that don't go to church because they went to church 50 years ago. And somebody looked at them funny. Well, they wouldn't even look. How you know they weren't looking at the person behind you? Huh? Just a thought. You know, that might have been the blind lady sitting on the front row, and you thought she looked at you, and she wasn't looking at nobody. Oh, you tell my mother so-and-so? She can't see nobody. She blind. And you quit going to church all them years ago because she looked at you funny? She wasn't even looking at you. She couldn't see you. See, some people walk around anticipating trouble. Huh? Two gun Pete. Got both barrels loaded on. I'm going into this church. I'm going to worship. Really? <laughs> Packing all that heat? <laughs> Say something, I dare you. What do you mean, good morning, praise the Lord? Huh? Well, seriously. We in big trouble, you know? Or somebody hugged you. Now this is the other thing. Hugs. They're either too tight, too loose, or absent. Isn't that true? Well, yeah. Gotta have our hugs. Oh. Until you get some deliverance and get that bitterness. You know, that murmuring thing. 
We all want to murmur about something. Now, see, murmuring is wrong, number one, because if we're the, there were validity to it, you could say it out loud and get it straightened out. Now, good ministers will tell people when they have conflict with other, well, the Bible says go to them and, and just go and peaceably forgive them first, go to them and see if you can get it straightened out. It's probably a misunderstanding. You know, it's, a wise minister won't try to vouch for people. You know what I'm saying? Because you get in trouble either way. And just let them go handle it. See if they'll do it. Most people won't. You know why? Because they know their complaint is not valid. Because if I go to Nikki and I say, well, Nikki, you didn't speak to me. She could easily say, well, you didn't speak to me. So what have we accomplished? So all I have to do is forgive her and say, God, I'm not going to make a big deal of it. We all love each other. Let's go home after service is over. Have a good time. And this is all that's required for us to live peaceably and harmoniously with anybody. The church is the place where you prove it in an atmosphere where God's law reigns. So that if you have a conflict, it can easily be settled because we live under the authority of God's word. And once you see it works here, you can go to some of the difficult people in your life, in your family, co-workers. That's a place everybody wants to go ballistic. And many people do. Why? Because we live in a very hellish world that tolerates a lot of demonic activity and we call it normal. We call it okay. And it shouldn't be, ever. So Moses, the people murmured against Moses and said, what are we going to drink, Moses? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had casted into the waters, the waters were made sweet or suitable for drinking. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and he proved them. And he said, if you will diligently, like a student, not casually, not like when you want to and when you feel like it, but do it diligently. It's like be on your watch in your own soul to know when you're offended and get it straightened out with you and God first. You know, there are times where, where you will have issues with somebody and, and you're not able to get it straightened out right away. But get it to God first. Because see, then when you approach that other person, there'll be peace. As Christians, you never go to somebody to give them a piece of your mind. You go to give them peace, folks. You you know, come on now. I can't wait till I see someone. There you go, six, two-gun Pete and showed up again. Oh. He's never too far away. So, yeah. You can put him in the closet if you want to, but he's li- liable to rear up again. But I would always ask God to open the door for me to speak words of reconciliation with people if I couldn't talk to him right away. 
Because sometimes if they're in the wrong mood, it's, it's going to backfire. So that gives God an opportunity to give them a chance to come to peace about it and be willing to accept your words, you know, your apology. So you have to be diligent about this kind of stuff. You can't do it casually, and you can't do it selectively. Like some people you forgive, some people you don't. See, Jesus gets us on that real quick. He said, well, sinners do that. It's easy to forgive people that treat you well. Huh? Hard to do the other thing. God wants us to do them both. And so he says the Lord commanded them. He he gave them a statute and an ordinance. And this thing stands even now. An ordinance is an unchangeable law. A statute is an unchangeable law. He says, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, do that which is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, keep all of his rules, I'll put none of the diseases. So this is your healing preventive scripture. This is what gives you the right and authority to tell the devil to go packing if he comes to you with symptoms. There's no such thing in a blood-bought believer that you cannot retrieve your healing if the enemy puts symptoms on you. Now people say stuff, well, maybe there's sin in your life. Well, we got a ready remedy for that. You don't have to leave it in there. Sin in my life, thank you for letting me know. I'm going to repent right now. I confess. Huh? I shot Kennedy. I murdered the Lindbergh baby. I know where the bodies are hidden in the Capitol Rotunda. I, you know, I know everything. I did it all. Please forgive me, Lord. Huh? That's hard for some people, though. But see, when you're sitting up somewhere and you rack with pain and you realize that's all you got to do and you can get your healing again, you'll do it real quick. Huh? I did it and I wasn't even in a church. I was reading my Bible at home. And God showed that to me about unforgiveness being the root of mental torment. It is. You know, when, when the, it, the, remember the parable about the guy that owed a little bit? No, he owed a lot and a guy forgave him. Somebody came to him, owed a little bit and he took him to court and, and the judge found him doing that and he says, oh, I'm going to hand you over to the tormentors. You, you're not fair in the way you deal with things. And so God showed me because I had imprisoned so many people emotionally and in my mind. Some for real stuff, some it was imaginary. Embellished. You know how drama queens like to. Huh? I'm depressed. Can you see me depressed? Let me have another Valium when it's not enough. I need to. <laughs> then you get on your high horse and go tell the psychiatrist off because I'm on too many pills. I'm healed. 
Jesus healed me. You've been acting like a heathen. That was the first time you mentioned his name in there. Ought to be ashamed of yourself. So when you get sick of that life and you realize, I've wasted a year, two years, three years in drama. You'll do what this thing said. Diligently. Oh, my problem is I was not diligent. I was being a part-time believer. Part-time everything will tell on you. God don't have no part-time employees. There's no part-time Christians. He says, I will put no disease on you. I heal you. Other people that ain't under my covenant, I do let them get sick. But you, I heal. So you can't compare yourself to the heathen out there. You can't compare yourself to any other kind of people. You got to understand you're different. Because I have a covenant with you. And just like there are great blessings on this covenant, there's great expectation of you in the obedience lane. I couldn't expect little from you and give you a lot. Because I got laws to cover that. As a man shows, so shall he reap. You want big blessings from God, you invest big in him. When he tells you to do something, you get it done as fast as you can and get in line to do some more. See, I learned my lesson. God wasn't allowing me to have freedom to do this and freedom to do He said, no, too much freedom for my people. I don't have, you got just enough time to straighten up and do what I tell you to do. He don't schedule no vacations. He don't schedule no backsliding bouts, no lollygagging, no shenanigans. Ain't nothing like that in God's word for us. There's obedience to him and love for him. He said, you love me? Quit talking about it and show me something. Huh? He's got plenty of ways for us to prove our love for, for him. So that branch that was thrown in the water represents Jesus and he is the answer to every difficulty first from the first day you're saved to the end of the line he's always going to be your answer he's the answer to our uh, everything and he has our answer he is called the branch and the offspring from the root of Jesse so that word branch, whenever you see these are what they are, they call, uh, symbols, types and symbols of Christ. And you'll see them all throughout the Old Testament. But whenever a stick was used or a branch was used, that is a symbol of Christ and his supernatural power that he brings in a symbol. Remember when the, uh, prophets, sons of the prophets went to, I think it was Elisha. And they were saying, uh, you know, I'm, I want my own house. You know, they were, they live communally and all this kind of stuff. And Elisha said, well, okay, you can do that. They said, let's go build something. They found a clearing, cleared off some timber, and they began to chop wood, and the axe head 
fell into the water. So instead of them, you know, they they want their own house, but now they got to have a man of God go with them to help them because they don't know how to retrieve nothing. So the axe head falls in the water. Oh, man of God, oh, man of God. Oh, he's, ah. And he throws a stick in there, and the axe head floats. So that's symbolic of calling on the name of Jesus to retrieve your lost stuff, to take the bitterness out of you, to make everything in your life sweet where it once was bitter. See, a lot of times we're scared to go back through the old stuff we went through before. You've been separated from dad. 30 years. Mama's always told you he don't care about you. Huh? Well, she say that because he don't care about her. And he never did. And she tried to make him. And he resisted. Barb, where are you getting this stuff from? The Holy Ghost. Women do that all the time. You can't make nobody love you. I don't care how many fantasies and dreams you have about Prince Charming, which that brother want just between me and you. Now, he wasn't no Prince Charming. Come on now. Sometimes we get thrown together with people and we try to make it prettier than what it is. Huh? You tried to force a relationship and he resisted. So now you got a baby, you tell the baby he hates both of us. You're just projecting what he feels towards you on your child. Won't let him see his own. Then when dad shows up 30 years later, everybody mad at him. I'm, I'm surprised some of them even have the courage to show up. And you, you've been shielding the child from him because he's such a bad man. Yes. Yes. He's wanted to see the child and the child wanted to see him and you. Bitter. Yes. Hatred. We need deliverance. That, that woman needs deliverance. How does bitterness affect us? It affects your outlook. Anger, frustration, bitterness. That word bitter is defined as angry, discontent, heavy, and chafed. That means irritable. It damages your outlook. You can look out and start trying to dream of a better life and something will come up and tell you you can't have it. That's bitterness. You you pretty much have caved in to the, the grim forecast that the enemy... The reason the devil does these things to people is to destroy their lives, to put you in a place of no hope. But you come into God's kingdom now. And God can make the bitter water in your heart sweet. That well that comes out of you, 
that used to flow. I've seen it in people. Uh, you know, I, when we were uh, back in the day, we always shared our testimony. And there would be some little lady sitting there crocheting and knitting, you know, and like middle-aged, gray hair, and then you find out she used to do LSD, and her house was the crack house or something. I'm saying to my, huh? Sometimes the sweetest people would have had the most horrible life experiences. Well, that's conversion. How does that happen? That happens because they allow God's medicine to pour into them. They refuse to continue to hate. They refuse to uh, to uh, hold on to unforgiveness. They refuse to let that bitter root keep spewing out of them, talking about how bad they got treated and how bad their life was. See, if you're forgiven and you have forgiven, you need to act like it. You need to change the way you speak about your situation. If you can't say anything good about it, just don't say anything at all until God heals that. There's good experiences everywhere. You would have two kids reared in the same house and one would say, we had a wonderful upbringing. Another day, uh, the killjoy, the bad seed in the family. They want to, they want to kill everything and everybody. Uh, if they could get to that that second grade teacher that gave them an F and didn't even fail the whole class, they, they push her down the stairs in her wheelchair. What nursing home is she in? I won't go see her. They go, remember me? I was in a poor little lady cave and see no more, you know. Man, it's wonderful to have your sins forgiven. Bitterness affects your outlook. Anger, frustration, keep your vision bleak. You don't even look forward to a future. That's why people who who have bitterness sometimes will, will do risky things with their life experiment taking drugs that are very dangerous, you know, that kind of stuff. Don't care enough about your body, you know, to care to take care of it to that level. It affects your relationships. Mistrust, rejection, broken relationships, all stem from bitterness. Where you you can get along only up to a certain point, and when that relationship's challenged, like there may come a slight offense or somebody might say something unpleasant to you, then bitterness will start to well up and all you can do is remember all the bad things that happened to this. It kind of stirs up memories. When God's healing starts to take effect in you, your mind is so renewed. I noticed this one time. I was I was sitting thinking about something. Something had happened to me. And I thought to myself, I said, no, wait a minute. I used to get really mad when this kind of stuff happened. What happened to her? <laughs> Where's my bad girl again? Are you feel around for her? Is she ain't there no more? I said, oh, somebody died in here. And we didn't get a chance to have a funeral. She just died. See, that's deliverance. And you sit there and you wonder, now wait a minute. 
somebody's doing something around here and they didn't tell Two Gun Pete. Uh, snuck up on Two Gun Pete and took one of his revolvers. Huh? It's true. Yeah, man. I mean, you want to get on the scale then and weigh yourself. You know, we don't, we don't ever want to do that, right? You think something really, something really left here. <laughs> something very heavy left. Huh? One of the definitions of bitterness is heavy. It does create a heaviness in you. When you're delivered, you feel lighter. Why? A devil left the temple. That's the only way we can account for it. Your bitter demon has left the temple. <laughs> he didn't even do the uh, Elvis pose down. Remember? He just left without the pose down. He just left. Woo! And you think to yourself, man, this deliverance is good and it's real. Huh? Now that one sneaked up on you. Some of them you might have to be conscious when they take it out, you know. <laughs> but you don't care because you want to be delivered. Amen. Broken relationships. Some people wonder, why does all, every time I find somebody it works out the same? Because you ain't changed. Now this makes sense here. There's two parts to the equation. You and the other person. What's the constant in the equation? Because we didn't switch boyfriends like we switch, you know. <laughs> huh? So there's a constant there. Oops. I think I've located the problem. Well, I didn't mean to. Yes, you did. <laughs> you meant ev- you meant everything you did and everything you said. Huh? Your expectation of good diminishes. You can get permanently discouraged and depressed. You just don't expect good to happen anymore. Your ability to hear God, hardness develops. The Bible warns us, today when you hear your voice, don't harden your heart. Don't say that's not true. I don't care how much you disagree with it. Don't say it's not true. Just say, God, if it's true, show me. He'll show anybody anything. Your ability to obey God diminishes. If you're hardened, you don't want to hear truth, you're not going to be very obedient. The children of Israel had a situation that came up where they could have expected good. Now this this, this uh, incident at Mara was very early in their history outside of Egypt. This is the first destination they came to. They were on their way to a promised land. 
And God was constantly delivering them. He was constantly showing them his power. He was constantly showing them good day after day after day. And one day it came to a test. And that was the day that he selected 12 spies, a man out of every tribe, to go out and spy out the land that he was giving them. Only two came back with a good report. So only two were totally delivered from bitterness. That's true in any congregation. That's why the work of the ministry is so hard sometimes on the minister. Because people refuse to receive their deliverance from bitterness. See, things like this, you preach over and over and over again to the people of God. Why? Because they still need it. There's always somebody who can't get past a certain place in God because certain things are holding them back. Attitudes. So the ten spies came back and reported that no, this isn't good. In other words, God lied. Because they've been hardened and don't know it. See, your hardening won't be revealed until it's tested. I love the Christians that say, oh, I just love everybody. Then you think about it, you say, except for, <laughs> huh? Because yeah, it's going to be tested. You keep confessing you love everybody, you're going to get some hard people to love come rushing up in your face. Huh? You will. So you learn how to keep your confession to yourself. Huh? I ain't going to say that too much. I won't be tested on it. <laughs> you know, I want to be bragging on how much I love people because, you know, right and so your your deliverance will come and it will be tested over and over and over again you you'll get to some everybody anybody been there at that point and say i thought i was over this <laughs> yeah, right it is again you're never over anything why because you're living by faith and by the grace of god and by the mercy of god and by the love of god He loves you so much he's kept you away from certain tests because he knew you weren't ready to pass it yet. Huh? And he don't grade on the curve. He don't have to. Because he enables you to pass everything. Amen? So don't let bitterness get you, folks. I'm telling you, we we got some splaining to do to God. We got some things to overcome still. But he's going to get us there. Amen. You trust him. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your time with us today. We thank you, Lord. Your mercy is everlasting. Thank you, Lord. You love us too much to leave us bitter and hurt. You are the Samaritan on the side of the road. You come and retrieve everybody that's injured. We thank you, Lord, that we've all been injured. Some of us are walking wounded. Some of us are on the mend, but we are all your children. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. If you need prayer, come on up. I'll pray for you.